You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 15, today we're in Andorra La Vela. Where are we, Kate? We're in Andorra. Oh, yeah, any more detail than that? We, we're, I'm looking forward to your architectural criticism of Andorra in tonight's episode. Okay, yes. Later on, though, yes. um, unfortunately, we'll not be hearing your Telvia tap. You were going to do that, but you've passed that responsibility back to me. With many regrets. Yeah. I offer my condolences. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm sure you've got a lot to offer on the architectural front. I could see you taking it all in as we drove into Andorra. Very impressed by you in the car today. This is the last time you'll be joining us in the podcast. Yes. But we will be hearing your audio diary. Yes, uh, the last installment week. of my audio diary. That's Kate Wagner. We're with Francois Tomazo as well. Hi there. Hello, Francois. Hello. Kate, I was impressed by you today because as we were approaching Andorra, I said to you, Kate, do you have your visa for working in Andorra, your work visa ready? And you did not flicker at all. No. You said, you just said, nice try. Shot you down like a dog. That's what you said. <laughs> I was very impressed by that. Anyway, you don't need a, a work visa, but we have left France. We are yes. in Andorra, and it does feel different, doesn't it? This is one reason why Lionel's not here anymore. He doesn't like Andorra. Francois, are you a fan? Mm, I guess you get used to it. It's like it's it's a lot like Monaco, like a cheap Monaco in the middle of the mountains, you know. Because at least in well, I mean the architecture. I, I don't want to overlap on the. You know, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But architecturally, it's, it's it's pretty similar, and you've got the same luxury shops and uh, boutiques, but but only in Monaco you can't afford anything, whereas in uh, Andorra, well, you, you can you know it's duty free, so people actually come here to buy cheap stuff. You know, so well we heard from Joe Laverick in last night's episode about how he loves Andorra, and obviously lots of writers love Andorra. Thirty-eight of them of the writers starting this Tour de France live in Andorra and I'm sure they live here because they love it they love its charms its mountains its absolutely it's, it's nothing to do with the tax situation here at all but as we were <laughs> driving into Andorra we actually drove past Joe Laverick um, he was I recognize his team kit and uh, he was standing outside a an apartment block which he said was home to 10 world tour pros and Coming down the mountain into the capital here, we kept passing uh, professional riders um, who are, were out training or going out to see the Tour de France. One of the other things though, that I think scores against Andorra for me and for Lionel is that every time we're here, as you can probably hear, the traffic is horrendous in the capital city here. But that's partly because the Tour de France is here. If we were here outside of the Tour de France, it obviously wouldn't be as busy as it is. But you've always got a sense of it being very clogged up. Anyway. An exciting stage today. Let's hear all about what happened. Kate's not doing it. I will. We started in France in Serre, and we came up to Andorra La Vella. With we, our, can, we can share responsibility on this. If you want. Yeah. Do, you want to, do you want to chip in? Yeah, I'll chip in. Well, it was stage 15, 191.5 kilometers. A really, really difficult stage. Lots and lots of climbing. And the first attacker of the day was Thomas de Ghent. Yes. Who else? What formed, actually, was not so much a breakaway. It was more a split in the peloton. Wout van Aert said at the finish that he had not actually intended to go in the break and found himself there by accident. We did wonder about the Jumbo Visma team tactics because they've, of course, only got five riders left in the race. Yes. 
<laughs> it's not, it's not, is this going to be your chip in? Are you gonna I'll, yeah, I'm going to chip in about Yumbo because okay. obviously like I know the the, the ins and outs. Yeah, the ins and outs. But it was interesting, yes, because they left Jonas Vingegaard, who is their GC guy, in the GC part of the peloton with only Mike Tunison, which was kind of perplexing to me because I don't quite think they're the same size so that if something happened to Jonas's bike, yeah, who's going to... Anyways, it, it seems like kind of an, an iffy move. But actually, I think things kind of coalesced as the time went on when they had, all, of course, like not to spoil what happened at the end, but uh, it no, was a pretty I mean, successful day for them. The suspense but will then, be killing At the, the same listeners. time, you know, Wout came back to help yeah. Jonas in the end. I'll get to that, Kate, obviously. But me, so it's like, was it, were they disorganized or was this actually just part of the plan or did I they mean, have a road captain that was... This is actually quite an interesting question. bike racing is you can reverse engineer it. That's so true. we can Trust now me. sit back at the end of the day and reflect on a, an absolute masterclass from Jumbo Visma because they fought on three different fronts and really, you can argue, came up trumps on all three fronts. Exactly. But we'll, we'll get to that. They had three riders in the break, which, as you say, Kate, was perplexing with Jonas Fingergaard in the fight for the podium, left... I mean, with Mike Tunison, but but you could say isolated behind. Not with a climbing domestique, though. Not like Seth Kuss or, or exactly. Stefan Kreuzweg. With Van Aert in that move at the front was Stephen Kreuzweg and Sepp Kuss. From Team Ineos, Grenadiers were Jonathan Castroviejo and Dylan Van Barla. Dan Martin, Mike Woods were there from Israel startup nation. Vincenzo, Vincenzo Nibali, uh, Julian Bernard and Kenny Ellison from Trek Segafredo. I heard an amusing comment from a Belgian colleague of ours who had phoned Edward tunes the other night and uh, he was asked who he was sharing with he said lo squalo the shark to which nibali apparently shouted across the room i feel more like a goldfish in this tour de france than a shark <laughs> um so they were well represented in that front group um julian alaphilippe was there as well another writer we fans for the stage alejandro valverde um group am ftg who've not done an awful lot in this Tour de France, maybe because a few of them, I think, have been suffering from stomach problems, including David Godou and Bruno Amirai. And I saw him in real pain at the end, actually. Yeah, he, he was looks to rough. have PCR test, and he was doubled over with clutching his stomach and looked in a lot of pain. But he did an awful lot of work. I mean, there was a moment in the race where Group FTG really took responsibility with Amirai and uh, Madouas, Valentin Madouas, uh, who were obviously working to help uh, David Godou try and win the stage. Um, there were other riders there, including Nairo Quintana, obviously, in the fight for the uh, King of the Mountains jersey, as is White Poles, who was there too. Uh, and Michael Matthews was there to try and get points in the green jersey competition. So that was a big old group at the front. Behind that, well, you, wait, wait, you, forgot, you forgot Bahrain Victorious. I wasn't going to name everybody because it was no, a No, but they, there was, this is instrumental in the fight for the King of the Mountains. Sorry, Kate. Sorry. You're right. Matej Moric was there. I think that's why you wanted me to no, mention that. Because that's because, no, it's because Poles was there and he sprinted for King of the Mountains. He's now in the King of the Mountains jersey because he sprinted. And I think I said Poles was there, didn't I? I did. Yeah, but he and was there so with lots of other people. Was Dylan Toons. Yes. You're he had help. Right. He had help. Okay, so, okay, so Frank Bonamore was there as well. I needed to say it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, I think we've covered... Oh, Sergio and I was there, and, and Pierre Latour was there. Really? So we've covered just about everybody. There was a lot of people there. There were a lot of people there. But there were teams, small teamlets, I, let's say teamlets, up front that, you know, had instrumental roles Whose in... Whose presence was significant. Yes. You're absolutely right. This is why you were going to do it. Um, as I say, Groupam FTG um, took uh, control, and r the gap went out to about 10 minutes. 
behind UAE Team Emirates seemed happy for, for them to go and um, the, Nor- the big Norwegian Vegard Stick Langen uh, was a, a, a familiar presence at the front of the bunch he uh, led for a long long time wow it's really noisy here isn't it um, the main interest up front was the King of the Mountains competition it's become a, a, a real focus of interest in this tour because we've got some really strong riders in contention for it Mike Woods was in the jersey today but he's been, he was being challenged by Wap Poles. He was dethroned. Wap Poles, um, Nairo Quintana, and Art. surprisingly. And those, they were really um, going for it and knocking lumps out of each other. Um, Van Art, when it came to the, the sprints, was obviously pretty powerful. And he was the first over the Col de Puymorin. Puymorin? Puymorin. And he was first at the top of the Puymorins. Uh, ahead of Poles and Woods. Uh, Quintana made a big move on the Porte de Envalira, the highest uh, climb of this Tour de France and therefore the Henri de Grange prize for the first over the summit. He reached the top first, really impressive attack, windy uh, windy conditions up there. He went over alone before Van Aert, Poles and Woods. Um, a leading group of 17 formed on the descent. Guillaume Martin, meanwhile, Second overall to start the day after being in the breakaway yesterday, he was starting to struggle and he could not hold on to the yellow jersey group behind. There was a big descent before a six kilometer climb and they called the Bechalis, um, which took the riders kind of, they, they came almost into the, the capital here, Andorra uh, La Vella, and then up this climb and then another descent back into the, the capital. And it was a really interesting quite short but very steep lots of hairpins climb um, and there were there was interest in front and behind Quintana attacked that group but um, it was Godou who, who followed him uh, he'd been set up obviously then Sepp Kuss and Alejandro Valverde and Kuss and Valverde emerged as the, the strongest on the climb but Kuss spotted a weakness in Valverde pressed home his advantage and got a little gap he was about 25 seconds clear going over the summit I fancied Valverde to perhaps catch him. catch him on the descent. He didn't. The gap kind of held the same. And Kuss came in to win the stage. Threw his sunglasses into the crowd, which was a nice gesture. Um, and, uh, well, a, a great win for him and a great win for Jumbo Visma. Um, Valverde held on for second ahead of Poles, Izaguiri and Guerrero, um, who finished in the minor placings. Behind them, we saw some really valiant attempts from Ben O'Connor, who's after his stage win has kind of yo-yoed a little bit. He had a go. Um, our audio diarist, of course, will no doubt hear his account of the stage in our next kilometer zero. I was very impressed by Jonas Vingegaard yes. on, on the climb. He was taking it to Tari Pogacar. It was Pogacar didn't really struggle, but no. nevertheless, they were having a go. It was interesting because I made the joke to uh, to Richard. I said, and this was in reference to also to Zulia, Basque Country, where he did something similar. I said, may we all find someone who loves us like Jonas Vingegaard loves sucking the wheel of Tade Pagacha. <laughs> well, he uh, he did that, but he also had a go, and it was, it was oh, good yeah. to see. I mean, they're not they're not scared to have a go. We even saw Rigoberto Iran yeah, have a go. We need to mention Ineos Grenadiers because, once yes. again, they made the pace hard. They, they did manage to isolate Pogacar. Van Baal and Castrovieco had been in the front group, dropped back to help with that effort. 
Um, you know, they, there's lots going on there. There's a fight for the podium as well as the the fight to topple Pogacar, if that is indeed possible. Um, but, you know, we saw all of those riders, Carapaz, Fingergaard, Uran, O'Connor, they all had a go today. Pogacar was pretty uh, He was fine to however. let them fight. Yeah. Martin was the big loser. He dropped seven places ninth overall. Pogacar remains in yellow. Rigoberto ran up to second. Vingegaard up to third. King of the Mountains. Poles is now in the polka dot jersey with Mike Woods second. Quintana third. And Van Aert an accidental, so he says, fourth. The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Tour de France. Powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much indeed to Super Sapiens, our title sponsor. Very grateful to them for their support, of course. Um, if you want to be in with a chance of winning three months worth of Super Sapiens sensors, which you stick on your upper arm and they wear it for two weeks and they track your blood glucose levels, you can, you can watch that in real time on your phone on the Super Sapiens app. Uh, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you'll see how to enter the competition. All we want from you is 60 seconds or less of audio telling us how and why you would use Super Sapiens, perhaps to help you fulfill your cycling ambition. Let's hear from another entrant now. Hi guys, this is Will from Pennsylvania. I've got a lot going on these days in my life. I'm a father to two foster children with our first biological baby on the way. I'm completing a PhD and I work a six day a week job. On top of this, I am training for the Dirty Dozen, a race that's held every October in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, up the 13 steepest climbs in the city. With so much on my plate, it can be hard to get high-quality training in, and being able to use the Super Sapiens products to understand how I can best fuel for these rides would sure make a big difference as I prepare for this task in October. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Well, good luck in the competition. And as I say, if you would like to enter, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. There's also still time to send in a question for our press conference episode tomorrow, where we'll Francois and I will be joined by Mitch Docker, the EF Education Nepo rider, who will be joining us for the final week of the Tour de France. We've had lots of questions in, actually. But if you've got one, email us, contact at thecyclingpodcast.com. If you have a question for Kate, we will get that question to Kate. Thank I'm you. I'm sure she would love to answer your questions I would be very well. happy, and I can submit my responses in audio. Well, that would be good. That would be good. Yeah. <laughs> in writing, or, or three, cop- three or, copies. Or we can, just a- we, can just <laughs> a- we can just ask you. Yeah. And notarized. So listen, uh, we, I mean, Yumba Visma were the, were the talk of the day. I was messaging our friend Brian Nygaard, who joins us at the Giro, of course, a proud Dane, and he has been quite unhappy, it's fair to say, at... Uh, Jumbo, the way that Jumbo Visma have ridden in support or not in support of Jonas Vingegaard, who, in the absence of Primoz Roglic, has emerged as Jumbo Visma's main GC contender. 
you know, I, I suggested last week that they were deliberately playing down his chances in order to re re remove pressure from him, not put pressure on him, and perhaps to somehow implicitly put pressure on Pogacar. I don't, I don't think that's now the case. It is like they are fighting this tour on different fronts. They're not. It's not all for Vingegaard, certainly. Um, well. Van Aert, however, you know, at the finish, he did say that he didn't mean to go in the breakaway, that once he was there, he thought he would go for the King of the Mountains points because he was there and he might as well. He also said that his coach is not in favour of him riding the tour the way that he is, making it really hard for himself. With Tokyo and the Olympics coming up, he doesn't think he should be digging so deep in chasing stage wins, King of the Mountains points, etc., etc. And he said that he sort of disagrees that he thinks he needs as hard a three weeks as he can possibly get which is what he's giving himself um, I mean I was surprised to see him going full gas for these King of the Mountains points today yeah. well, well, actually at the finish he also said something uh, I know that usually strategies are actually decided you know afterwards after the stage exactly you know you look back and you say oh, that's what we're trying to do when actually in real uh, action uh, you know you have no uh, no plans whatsoever or but Wout van Aert suggested that the fact that he had three uh, guys up up the road meant that uh, one could, you know, wait for uh, Jonas Vinegar in case of trouble. They didn't. They didn't have to do that. But but if you if you look at what Ineos Grenadiers did, they they, they actually did that. Uh, uh, Castroviero and who was, who was Van Baal and Van Baal actually stopped at the at the top of the climb to wait for. The uh, Carapaz group. So obviously, this was a, a planned move from Ineos Grenadiers. So there's no reason to to not to believe that Jumbo Visma had this option in mind as well. That having two, three guys in the front meant one could let himself get dropped in case of trouble and and go go back to help Jonas Vinegard. So in which case, whatever the the, the outcome is, what it is, we saw Wout van Aert, you know, battle it out uh, in the climbs for the Polkadot jersey, and we saw. Sapkus go for uh, uh, stage victory. So in the end, Vingegaard always in the same place uh, in third, looking like one of the most serious, you know, rivals for Pogacar. Sapkus wins the second stage win for Jumbo Visma in, the, in this uh, in this race, and and in the end, uh, almost a perfect scenario for uh, for Jumbo Visma. This is perhaps controversial, but I think part of I think Jonas Vingegaard is, is kind of built up of the same composition and the same kind of disposition as Tadej Pogacar in that he's very calm, very level-headed, very much an aggressive rider who stays in the wheel of who he needs to stay in the wheel of. And so they're probably more comfortable leaving him to do that than maybe someone like Roglic who has sort of a more strategic slash team-oriented way of controlling things. It's just kind of interesting to see, maybe perhaps as like a generational thing. I think it's more that he doesn't probably feel that he's earned his stripes. Um, and, you know, I watched his body language at the finish. We'll hear from him in a moment. I, I, I watched Grisha Neerman come in and give him and you know, embrace him and, and say, you know, great job. And, and he there wasn't, was no, yeah. you know, and Wat Van Aert, um, the, the way that they spoke. The, the, I don't think Vingegaard himself has any issue. I don't, I think he is sort of pinching himself at the position that he's in. He doesn't yeah. feel entitled to yes. deny, you know, to clip the wings of uh, Van Aert or Sepp Kuss. And, mm. Like I say, we can look back now on a, a, a 
phenomenally successful day for Jung Bavisma. But they gambled. I mean, they did gamble. They gambled hugely. It's, one, it's, it's, it's okay. It's fine to have, have two riders up the road. But, you know, Sepp Kuss is a guy who could have been a, a great ally for Vingegaard in the, in the yellow jersey group. Absolutely. If he's 10 minutes up the road and Vingegaard has a puncture or needs a bike change... That's no good, that, that yeah. Sepkus is 10 minutes I mean, up the road. What would have been the point to have uh, Sepkus, Wout van Aert and Steven Kreuzweig in, in, in the Yellow Jersey group helping you? you uh, Vin, Vin I mean, it's a more conventional tactic, I suppose. Yeah, it is. But it's I a mean, conservative I mean, tactic Kuss, yeah, rather than an aggressive one. For, for what's conservative tactics for third place in Paris? Yeah. I mean, this is... So now, now we think Jumbo Wismar yeah, did the I right I thing. I I hope, really, I don't think Jumbo Wismar's main goal uh, these days is... Stage wins. It, it, yeah, of course, it's stage wins. It's not GC position. So they went for the stage win, which is what, what every team wants. And, and, and if, you know, on top of it, uh, Jonas Vingegaard fin finishes on the podium in Paris, then fair enough. Well, let's hear from Vingegaard at the finish. Let's hear what he said. I tried a few times and, uh, yeah, it seemed like nobody was stronger than the other in the, in the favorite group today. So, uh, but at least I tried and uh, I came in together with the best guys and... Uh, there's still two really hard mountain stages left, so uh, I'll do my best. It, it's a bit of changing mindset yeah. when, when Primoz went out of the tour. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm growing into it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect to be, like, especially on the Mont Ventoux stage, I didn't expect to be uh, having that great feeling, especially in the second week. I take it day by day and uh, we'll see what the result is going to be in the end. Uh, if it's a podium, it's a podium. And, uh, if it's a 10th place, it's a 10th place. It's yeah, so no pressure for you, now. No, I take it easy and uh, we'll see what it's, what it's going to be. How was it to be in that group today with all the attacks? Hard. It was going fast and it was attack on attack, so it was a bit stop and go. And uh, of course, it's also nice to be there. And so what, uh, what did uh, Van Aert say to you when you just uh, saw each other after the race? Yeah, he said uh, congrats with the, 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 the win of Sepp. So uh, that's really, really nice. and. Uh, I guess we're going to celebrate a little bit tonight. As you say, the first week was probably one of the worst you could have. Yeah. Uh, we lost Primoz, yeah, we lost three guys, we lost also Robert and also uh, uh, Tony. But uh, And we lost our main GC guy, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, we lost pretty much everything. But yeah. we're fighting back and uh, as you say, it's, it's going well. well. We have two stage wins now, so uh, we'll keep going. If I would have any problems, then I had two guys out the front and they will wait for me. So. Uh, yeah, it was. I, I never. Congrats. I never felt like I was in any uh, bad situation. That was Jonas Vingegaard. Very happy, and I think he should be happy because he looks strong. He's prepared to take it to Pogacar. When he attacks, I'm not saying he puts Pogacar in difficulty, but he looks sprightly. You know, he's rec he's obviously recovering well. He's 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 going well. I, I did I did laugh though at the finish because. Some of the teams tonight were having to basically 100, 100 meters beyond the finish line. Oh, look at that. There's a metaphor. A Jumbo Visma car on a breakdown lorry. I mean, it would, be a, it would have been a great... Me oh, there's uh, Daniel Freib. Uh, it would have been a great metaphor if they'd had a bad day. But as it is, it's not a great metaphor. Anyway, that'll be Daniel off to find the uh, football, no doubt, in a pub. He looked to, to be a man in a hurry. Yeah, 100 meters beyond the finish line, there was uh, a tent with PCR tests, COVID tests for some teams. And after hauling their, their asses 200 kilometers over the mountains, four and, a, four and a half thousand meters of climbing, some of them had to go for a COVID test immediately. 
including Vingegaard, who emerged from the tent shaking his head as though he'd had his brain tickled, which is a feeling that we can relate oh, to those yeah. of us who have <laughs> these horrible COVID tests. But yeah, I mean, he seems to be perfectly relaxed about the situation. An interesting little contrast. I mean, another rider fighting for the podium and up to second overall now is Rigoberta Uran. And we did see Uran attack. Which, which is very rare. Which is quite rare. But he also, there, two of his teammates were up the road in the Nielsen breakaway. Paulus. Nielsen Paulus and Ruben Guerrero, who rode very well again. I spoke to Paulus at the finish and asked him whether, you know, uh, there's obviously a parallel there between, I mean, EF have got more riders still in the race, but the fact that those guys are being allowed to go up in those kind of moves is quite interesting too. Yeah. It's been a pattern on this tour, which is quite interesting. We've had the breakaway, but usually... In Grand Tour breakaways, you have you really have with no ambitions whatsoever. You know the breakaways we've had uh, in this in this tour have always been massively impressive with guys Strong. who could have been GC contenders, guys with ambitions for the Polkadot jerseys, guys with real. I mean, who, who are really worth. I mean, Pokemolema, Sepkus. These are not guys who have that day. You know, there are guys who amply deserve you know that these guys can win and will win grand tour stages so the pattern in this in this tour has been really exciting and most of the of the teams it's funny because we got this, this small little yellow jersey group of about 10 guys you know like five or six minutes down and at the front every team and including the gc teams have two or three guys which is very interesting i think it speaks to just how strong and how dominant pagacha is he's got a five minute lead on everyone else at a certain point if you want to walk away with this from this tour with something, you have to put guys in the breakaway. You have to take risks. You have to do those things. And it paid off for Yumbo today, but it easily couldn't have. Yeah, I mean, there's some very strong riders who are still in the hunt for something out of this tour, and that's why they're going for stations. I mean, Dan Martin said he thought it was the strongest break that ever been at the Tour de France. I put that to Nielsen Paulus at the finish. Well, up the road today, how was that in that, big, that move of big hitters? Super tough, super tough. Uh, as soon as I came up into the breakaway, I could tell that it was going to be a really, really hard day. And honestly, the, the headwinds on the, on the last couple climbs um, did make it a bit easier. But over the top of uh, Envalira and then Bechelis were just incredible. The pace was so high. And I mean, I spent a lot of time uh, up, here in, uh, up here in Andorra. I have an apartment in Soldeu. I'm a resident here. And I knew the climb super well. Um, and that is by far the fastest I've ever gone up these climbs. It was insane. <laughs> it's interesting, your team and Jumbo Visma, obviously got guys placed highly overall, but also men in the break as well. Is that just a sign of how far Pogacar is ahead of everybody else, that you're allowed to go for your own ambitions as well? Yeah, I mean, I think no matter what position you're in, um, even if Rigo was only a few seconds behind Pogacar and GC, I think that it's just in our interest to be in the breakaway too if we need to come back because... We wouldn't be able to follow Rigo and uh, pull him off the front to to get away from Pogachar in the stage. So if he does that on his own and we're ahead and then we're up there to help him, then that's uh, just a yeah, clever strategy if you can pull it off. Yeah. So will we see more of that in the final week? Yeah, we hope. We hope. Um, all we can do is just keep racing our bikes and uh, focus on our race and hope that Rigo just uh, continues to stay solid. Well, that was Nielsen Paulus, the EF Education Nippo rider. I also uh, spoke to Mark Donovan, the team DSM rider, making his debut at the Tour de France. He rode the Vuelta last year. He found himself in that very distinguished company today in that, in that big breakaway. They've, they've had a really tough tour, team DSM, but he seemed quite happy at the finish. 
Well, Dan Martin just said he thought that was the strongest break there'd ever been in the Tour de France. Is that what it felt like? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, looking around when it sort of formed, I was like, oh my God, about half of these guys can win today or more. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, uh, crazy strong break. I was lucky I felt really good on the start and I, uh, I knew I had to go full just, uh, just to get in there. But yeah, it was nice and uh, I felt good all day, but just didn't have the legs on the final climb and then actually had a bit of unlucky, uh, got a puncher as well, a slow puncher. So that took a while, had to change my bike. So it wasn't ideal, but it didn't really change much in the end. But. Oh, the condition there, it was a hot day and a w strong wind as well. Yeah, it was uh, just constantly ice on the back of the neck, water all the time. It was kind of nice being in the brake because the car's only a few meters behind you all the time. And then, yeah, it was, uh, there was a period of time when uh, after the brake first formed on the, when we turned onto the main road, there was a few attacks going and no one really wanted to take control. But then luckily FDJ took control and uh, they just battled away into a headwind all day. So that was kind of nice for everyone else. Who impressed you? I mean, in, in the break, obviously a lot of big names and strong riders, but who particularly impressed you? Well, i got to say uh, the two French uh, guys who worked for Gordou, Amirai. Oh, yeah. He was in both my both the breaks I've been in in the Volta as well. And then also um, Madouas as well. They both just pulled all day. And then, yeah, I think everyone else was just uh, pretty happy to sit in the wheels to be honest. How are you feeling two weeks into your first Tour de France? Yeah I felt really good today actually I was uh, really motivated for it. I had a bit of unlucky uh, you know I've tried to get in a break so many times it's just not quite worked out but today it uh, really did and hopefully going into the final week I can yeah kind of build on this. Lots more chances in the third week? Yeah definitely the first half of the first week. I think some of them will be some big GC fights but um, yeah for sure I mean got nothing to lose so I might as well try. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science in Sport, our longtime sponsor. Uh, we have been running our Super Sunday competition. Lionel is in charge of administering that. Guess the winner of Sunday's stage, that's today. And if your name is drawn out, the cycling podcast casket, you will win £80 worth of science and sport goodies. Lionel has not let me know yet whether anybody named Sepp Kuss as a potential winner. I'm sure they did. So I'm sure we'll have a winner. But I'll probably say who it is in tomorrow night's episode. You can enter the competition by going to thecyclingpodcast.com and you'll see the details there about how to guess who will win next Sunday's stage in Paris. And, well... Maybe it will be Mark Cavendish because he survived today's stage. If you want 25% off your Science of Sport goodies, go to scienceofsport.com and enter the code Kate. Kate is sleeping, so I'll say Kate's looking at something. SISCP25. Kate's checking something on her phone. Um, looking forward to your architectural highlights and lowlights of Andorra, Kate. But yeah, Cavendish made it another tough day for him. He was off the back quite early got back on, well looked after by Michael Morkov and Tim de Klerk and others. He lost another rival today, Nasser Buhani. Nasser Buhani. Finishing on the podium, well, a few times on this Tour de France, he, he abandoned, as they say. So, yeah, I mean, once again, if the more Cav gets near Paris, the less opposition he will have on the last day. He was, yeah, Buhani was struggling in front of the broom wagon for a little bit and uh, eventually called it a day. A shame, because... It's actually one of the stories of, of the tour which we were going to cover at some point, the, the rebirth of Buhani. I mean, we've been so focused on Cavendish, but Buhani has also you know, been really close to a stage win at this tour, back to 
probably his best, which has is, is, is kind of gone... It's a story that's gone untold in a way. Um, maybe we'll ask uh, Connor Swift, our diarist, uh, for a bit more about Buhani and his tour. But he's out of the race now, sadly. Well, today, I mean, stage win for Sepp Kuss, a guy who has often promised a, a result like this. You know, it's another classic case. If Roglic was still in the race, he wouldn't have been in nope. a position to win the stage. He's lo- something he's looked capable of for a long time. Um, but when the responsibility has been given to him, he's sometimes struggled to deliver yes. you know when he's been given team leadership or when he's been given opportunities he really took it today and i was really impressed with the way that he held off valverde a wily old it was there was there was an interesting pattern again it actually kind of explains what i was saying before about the new patterns with these breakaway groups with lots of strong guys in there there's really been a divide now i think in teams and if between the gc the real gc guys I mean the real GC guys, not the guys who might have a chance to one day become a GC rider and the guys who might have the potential to be GC riders but who don't have the mind for it and go for stage wins. I think that's the case for Sepkus. If you don't give him too much responsibilities, if you don't put too much burden on his shoulders and he goes for the stage wins... It's he can just ca- go. It's the, yeah, it's the case. With, I had a long interview for a Figaro with Pierre Roland and Pierre Roland told me that the first five or six years of his career had been a nightmare because he was considered as a potential GC contender, being the, f- the best young rider in 2011. And the, the, the five years that followed, were, he said, were a nightmare. You, you're under pressure every day. You're fearing the crash. You're fearing to let your teammates down. And he said the day when Jonathan Vortis told him, forget the GC, go for stage wins, if he, he was a newborn rider and enjoyed the, the job again. I think that some, most of the guys we had at the front are that type of riders. You know, they, they're great riders, they can win a stage, a major Grand Tour stage, but they're not GC riders. Zep, Zepkus is absolutely this type of rider, Absolutely. I, I had a message from Lizzie Banks to say, nice to finally see Sepkus trying. <laughs> now he looks like the rest of us when we are not trying. Because I've said on the podcast before that it just often looks so easy for Sepkus when he's been lieutenant to Roglic. There have been moments where he's, sorry, you know, Roglic has been struggling to hold his wheel, and Kuss is just riding on air. Yeah. You know, he looks, he looks so he's, he's sublime. Liberated that, yeah, by, I mean, by he, his task of servitude. He's a classic climber. You know, who, when things are going well for him and he's riding well, it it just looks so so easy for him. And this is a yeah, this is a success that has been a long time coming. He lives in Andorra. He's one of the many who lives in Andorra. He said his girlfriend was on the climb and her parents. I think she's from Barcelona. And that was inspiration for him today. Dan Martin was actually very emotional at the finish, talking about his wife and uh, twin daughters being near the finish as well. So, yeah, he really choked up talking about that. We're seeing a a really interesting battle for the King of the Mountains, a kind of long discredited competition. It's been like a consolation prize, either... You know, a rider on the podium has won it almost by accident, or it's been won by somebody, a modest rider, really targeting it. What we're seeing here are there are really four Quintana, Poles, Woods, Woods and Van Aert, um, you know, battling out four real quality riders, powerhouses. Yeah, and it, it's adding luster to this competition. It's one of the real interesting points in the race now. Yeah, there's mountains until Wednesday. Uh, I mean, un- until yeah, almost Thursday. So most of the, of the last week will, will still be mountains. So more excitement on the hills, on the climbs, and and given that now it's 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 one of the yeah the m- most interesting competitions, and that all these guys and all these teams are going for it. I'm sure we'll have really animated 
races from the start. And we the, the kind of script we had today is probably going to be repro reproduced in the in, in the future stages, which is uh, which is yeah rather exciting. Well, I spoke to the man now in the polka dot jersey, Wout Poles, at the finish. Here's what he had to say. Quite a battle we're seeing for the King of the Mountains jersey. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a battle. It's a, probably the most exciting part of the race at the moment. You're in the jersey just now. I mean, a good day for you today. Yeah, no, I'm really happy with it. Uh, it was a goal to get the jersey back and uh, we made it. But still, everything's really close. So uh, yeah, we have to be focused and uh, six more days of racing, six more days full gas, and then hopefully uh, we can keep it. Mike Wood said last night, you know, how, how much those efforts cost you at the top of the mountains. It's almost as if you have to decide between going for the jersey or going for the stage win is that how you feel as well yeah for sure like you know every spin is like maybe 20 30 seconds and if you do five on a day at the end you are sprinting two minutes full gas and then on the final climb uh, maybe you come a little bit short but the thing is if, if i want to go for the mountain jersey you have to make sacrifices and that means you have to sprint and it also doesn't make it easier that van laat starts to sprint so uh, yeah yeah this is what it is who's the biggest rival do you think for the jersey and uh, no, yeah, still, I think uh, Van Aert, Wood, uh, Quintana. Depends also with, of course, with the mountain top finish. You get a lot of points. What UE if they keep in giving the stage away or Pogaccio goes himself for it. Final question. When we get to Paris, would you rather have had a stage win or be in the Kingdom of jersey? Both. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Wout Poles, the man in the polka dot jersey. Interesting, you know, the it, to see Van Aert going for it and he was sort of looking back on that with a rueful expression because um, you know it, it's funny to see a sprint at the top of a climb between Van Aert Poles Woods Quintana I don't think he's going to be a realistic contender for that and I, I was puzzled as to why he was putting so much into into snaffling up those points really could be proven wrong of course while it's still there I think he just wants to keep himself in, in contention um, but yeah Poles it was interesting what he said about the how much those efforts take out out of you? Mike Wood said the same last night. They, they these guys do really have to make a choice now, King of the Mountains or a stage one. Although, although they all say they still want both. I mean, another rider today you want to mention, Francois, is the old dog Alejandro Valverde. I was watching on French TV and they were quite confident that Valverde would come back to Coos on yeah, the well, descent. Yeah, well, Jalabert was, I mean, he's this kind of the same generation I was about to say. And uh, Jalabert, for very, various reasons, having raced in Spain and having been in that environment, he's obviously a great fan of uh, Alejandro Valverde. I mean, they, yeah, there, there were two points I wanted to make. So, in French, Andorre la Vieille means, <laughs> actually, phonetically, means put the old lady to sleep, you know? <laughs> But obviously, old yeller style. Yeah, ov obviously, this stage, you know, didn't put the old man to sleep because he he, he came very close to, you know, you know, you know that Eddie made it. Eddie beaten Kuss to the to the line and 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 won the stage. He, w I mean, I said that about Greipel the other day as well. But I mean, this Valverde came close. He would have been the the, the second oldest winner of a Tour de France stage after Pino Cerami. Uh, I say Pino Cerami, and not. Cerami in Italian because he was Belgian, in case you know you forget. So yeah, 41 and something would have been made in the second oldest winner to the front stage. The other little thing I wanted to say is about Guillaume Martin, who uh, you know who lost time and his second place only lasted one day, like Ben O'Connor after Grand Bornand, after Le Grand Bornand. If you look at the GC tonight, it's actually 
well got back to normal. It's exactly the same as two days before with with Guillaume Martin in the same in the same spot, but he's closer to the to that than he was to uh, uh, to the front. He was nine something down two days ago. He's now seven something down. And actually, he made a kind of a break in ninth place, you know, because Bilbao is now a long way away. So probably Martin, you know, he seems to be out for his best GC results. So I mean, he can't be, he can't be uh, too disappointed about what happened today. We move on to uh, architecture, Kate. Now we drove into Andorra, and these dark stone kind of dominates the apartment blocks as we came down the hill into the cafeteria. What What are your impressions, though? You're you're an award-winning, globally revered architecture critic. <laughs> what awards have I won? I don't know. I, I haven't actually assume. won any awards. No, but I did give a keynote lecture at Yale, which I guess counts. You've done a TED Talk as well. That's true. That's true. Well, that makes you a, a, a real authority. Yes, of course. But So I would say with architecturally, it's funny because remember when we were in Tina, we talked about how ugly Tina was, which it is. I mean, Tina is like overblown chalets chalets inflated to the size of apartment buildings which is which is not a chalet and should not be interpreted as a chalet and should not be imitating a chalet mixed chalets mixed chalets but i would say that with andorra it's a little bit interesting because it was like francois said it's like the glitzy architecture of monaco but mixed with kind of a ski lodge vibe Uh, and it's all governed by this really dark stone that is endemic to the region which, you know, can be quite lovely, you know, as a floor or something. But when every building is covered in it, it does create this kind of closed-in oppressive effect. At the same time, Andorra just kind of feels like a big tax-free mall. In the middle... That, that's because that's, that's what it is. is. In the middle... No, but in the middle of these, like, resplendent mountains. It's so funny to me to see, like, Forever 21 architecture or H&M architecture as... Instead of, you know, like old, beautiful, resplendent, ancient things. Uh, And so it's this kind of mix of like high tech, high gloss, uh, tourist living mixed with a kind of penchant for the outdoors that doesn't quite penetrate the surface like it does in Tina, where it's very clear that everyone here, everyone in Tina is doing outdoors tourism. They're skiing, they're cycling, they're whatever. But here, that kind of froths beneath the surface, and that's, and that's why it looks more like a mall. It's not about a historic place. It's not about placemaking. It's not. It kind of can be anywhere, were it not for this vernacular stone that exists, that actually gives it its regional quality, that actually gives it this aura of a place that exists and its own kind of weird architectural style. And also, everything is new. It's like brand new. It's like curtain wall, uh, ground floors, granite tile 80s 90s 2000s 2010s new yeah it's funny because if you look at the they've, they've got they really really work hard on that tourism side and in in all their uh, leaflets and you know uh, uh, publicity they, they really advertise the the, the 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 old heritage they have it's true that they have very beautiful 12th 11th and 12th century romanesque Churches, churches and stuff, yeah, yeah. And, and they make and make big a big fuss of it, and and you know, so obviously they try. They they, they must realize that the, that the, the the general architecture is a little bit too. How could I say? Uh, trans, I don't know, transatlantic or transcontinental or whatever you can call it. I guess you could call it global or yeah, global or something. I would say faceless. Yeah, faith, and 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 so because of it, they 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 make a real. You know, you can tell they make lots of publicity for their churches. Uh, 
I, I guess that, that was an ambulance. No, there was a local, no, the local fireman late for the, the football match, I suppose. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Um, well, obviously, English guys or Italian guys. Um, li a little culture? Is there some culture, Francois? Well, <laughs> well, not all of it will be on Andorra. There's lots. There's actually lots of. Uh, We're having our photograph taken by an actual <laughs> photographer here, <laughs> uh, an award-winning photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we talked about Andorra a lot. That, that of course, there is culture here, of course. But we we we, we looked, uh, we overlooked totally Serre, the, the the place where we started from to to uh, today. And actually, if, if you happen to be in the, in the area, which is French Catalonia, uh, Serre is an amazing little place. It, it, it's, it's, called, it's called the Mecca, called, called mecca of that. Cubism. A, fa a fan of Kate just walked past um, and shouted out her, her Twitter moniker. That was quite extraordinary. Anyway, sorry, Francois. Okay, I'll be back. Yeah, it's not exactly architecture, but... Yeah, so I can't live here. Serre is called the... Uh, the, the mecca of, of cubism. It, it sounds strange, but actually, it's it's a it's a little town, a very little town. But um, in, in uh, actually in the in the early 20th century, the guys, you know, cubist painters, they were looking for a place to, to go on holidays, and they ended up in Serre. And this guy was were called Deodato Sevrac, Frank, Bertie, Avilon, and Manolo Uge, and and. Uh, they found a place so great they uh, they asked a good friend of the, of theirs to go to, to come to Serre to spend holidays with them. This the, his name's guy was Pablo Picasso, and so after Picasso went there, you had Juan Gris, Kisling, Picabia, Dunoyer de Secondzac, on lot Soutine, Chagall, all these guys, Dubuffet, Dufy, uh, all these guys came to uh, live in in Serre and 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 paint. Uh, later you had also poets like Max Jacob or Guillaume Apollinaire. And and so this place, this little village, became actually called, known as the mecca of cubism for, because for decades, lots of very very fa world famous painters went to Serre to just yeah, spend good time, uh, you know, drink Catalan wine, uh, have fun, and paint. And and as the result, you have a, you have a big museum now in uh, in Serre with, with works by all these guys. So you know, very unlikely place for uh, you know to be. Uh, a kind of a, a stronghold of, of uh, you know the, the the greatest painters of the 20th century, but there you are. So if you happen to be in the area, well, don't miss Serre and don't miss the museum. It's a, it's a, it's a really a, a, a nice place to go. Uh, cheese of the day. So well, all of you who've been on holidays in Catalonia and it, down to uh, Barcelona know have, have tried mato, you know. Uh, mato is a fresh cheese. It may, it's sometimes made of goat's milk, sometimes made of goat's milk, uh, with no salt added, and it's usually served with honey. And it's it's so it's now the kind of a traditional emblematic Catalan dessert no, known as meli mato on 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 lots of menus. If you if you go to you know anywhere in Catalonia or, or in Barcelona, on the menu you will find meli mato, and and it's you know it's 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 one of the the. the, the which between mato and honey, which is well, really well, simple and, and and really tasty, very tasty, as someone would say. Very nice. Uh, That's uh, my catchphrase, Francois. Uh, uh, well, we, we won't go back to uh, Andorra being the the the, uh, the capital of the, well, one of the new capitals of, uh, of 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 cycling and the reasons why 
uh, it, it had become the, the, the kind of a capital of a cycling for many, uh, many, many uh, pro riders. I mean, as I said, I, I probably already yesterday when I asked Matt White about it, he said, uh, he said, tax heaven. So, well, if he says it, well, it's probably true. Uh, the, 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 there was a curious fact of the day on the, on the stage today. Um, the peloton road at kilometer 50 uh, through a little town called Prad. And, and the, the mayor of this uh, little town was, was totally unknown like three, three years ago. And it's called Jean Castex. And it was named by uh, President Macron, and the man in charge of the uh, fight against COVID-19. And it, it did so well, uh, at least in Macron's view, that he's now the French prime minister. He has been since July 2020. And the funny thing about uh, Castex and the fight against COVID-19 is uh, when he became prime minister in July 2020, uh, in September, was in the in Christian Prudhomme's car in yeah. the France, and he was forced to stay out of action for more than a week because Christian Prudhomme was tested positive for COVID. And, and he was on the race today, John Castex. Yeah, yeah, he was in, he was. In, he, so he wasn't put off, obviously, by that experience. <laughs> well, we'll see tomorrow, you know. What, what I, yeah, it was just before a rest day, the last... Last year as well, wasn't it, when he joined the race? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the, the, this little-known mayor of a small town uh, in the area uh, is now the French Prime Minister. That was a curious fact of the day. Now for the song of the day. Well, are we gonna, will we play out with the song of the day? Before we do, let, let's hear a little bit from Andorra. Well, he's not a resident, but he's been here for a few weeks. We heard from him last night. Joe Laverick, who is also keeping an audio diary for us this year, uh, which is being released as uh, a friend special. Two other writers, Red Walters and Marilyn Van Galoof, are also keeping audio diaries. And uh, we've released two of their episodes already for Friends of the Podcast. If you want to sign up, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. But here's Joe's account of his day watching the Tour de France today. Vive le Tour. What an incredible event it is to go and watch the Tour. I mean... It's everything you expect and more. It truly is a circus. And especially in Andorra, it shuts the whole country. Um, so I rode down, well, I rode up the Bechelis. Um, awesome atmosphere. Absolutely incredible. Hundreds, thousands of people. Um, and I got like 50 metres to, to the top and was turned around, which was a bit of a problem because then the police weren't letting us ride down. So I'd like, I'd ride 150 metres, get told off by the police i get told to walk, then I'd ride, wait till they're out of sight, ride another 200 metres, and just repeat that over and over again until I got to the bottom. Went down into Andorra La Vea to try and watch it there. Realised it's, it's quite difficult to watch it from a good viewpoint near the finish line without one of those special yellow lanyards, which uh, which Richard and co have, and I unfortunately don't. Um, so I went back to the bottom of Bechelis and ended up watching it with a couple of the Ineos Grenadier staff, which was... It was nice to like chat some English guys and just just yeah, like the tour. I mean, everything. There's it's everything you don't see this side of a bike race. When you're when you're competing, you don't understand that roads are closed hours before you've got to plan in advance where you want to be. I mean, I feel like I could write a whole like article on a guide to watching the Tour de France. I mean, I'm such a rookie, I I messed so many things up. I didn't take drinks, I didn't take water. Uh, that's the same thing. I didn't take food, sorry. There's just so many things. But to see how quick they came past was... Ah, it's just another league. It's the, it's the tour. Um, but then it's the little things. There's four helicopters always in the sky. There's, I don't know, a million and one motorbikes. And then the caravan. I've never seen a caravan in my life. I was kind of like a kid. 
Um, but yeah, I rode back up and then the team cars are coming up to the hotels up here and kind of action is a relatively recognisable jersey. So I was getting like beats from the team cars that I was going and it's just, I mean, I kind of live in it. Like I race, I raced a lot of these World Tour teams, but there was a part of me which was just like, Joe three years ago would have found this insanely cool. And to be honest, Joe in 2021 still finds it cool. Um, funnily enough, the caravan's actually parked in a massive car park outside my uh, my apartment, so I can see all that. Um, but now, yeah, sorry, Richard did invite me to, uh, to record tonight's episode of the Cycling Podcast, but I'm afraid I've got a date with, uh, with football coming home. So, sorry, Richard, but certain things do, do take priority over the Cycling Podcast. England is one of those. Sorry. Joe Laverick there. Um, well, we're about to say goodbye again to Kate. Kate. Kate's speechless. Kate. Kate, <laughs> are you still there? Kate. I truly am sad, except for the fact that I will see you in the mix zone literally every single day. We'll see you all every day, and we're going to hear from you in your audio yes. diaries. So it's not goodbye, and no. we will not be saying goodbye after the Tour de France Of course either. not. Of course not. Um, uh, you're a part of the Cycling Podcast family now, as well as a friend, of course. I am beyond honored, considering just a few months ago I was listening to Cycling Podcasts as a friend of the podcast. Uh, with my uh, when I drew when I made my illustrations, I bet I hope you are a friend of the podcast. I bet I'm going to check that you're. A you can you can find podcast. my. Uh, go through. It might records. be under my birth oh, name. Oh yeah, now now it's all coming which out. Which is yeah. not Kate. Oh as right. You know. yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, Kate. It's, it's been wonderful having you, and and we've had two episodes already of your audio diaries, ab- both absolutely brilliant. Yeah, be and excited for the third one because it's actually a reflection on my time here at the Tour de France, great. which. Well, they've been great so far, and they've been, had a phenomenal yeah. reaction from listeners. So I'm very excited. It's been, been great, wonderful. You've been a great asset. You've we, been a great en- We've enjoyment. enjoyed your company. Enough, enough of this. I know. This is so sappy. No, it is, yeah. This, We're all this so is hungry. Not, this is not my style. Yeah, and so, so before we go, Kate, I, I will need uh, you. Uh, I can't yeah, sing. Sorry. A little bit. You know, I, I'm going to sing this line here, and you, you just have to say the end of it. Thanks, man. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, I know. Okay. I know so, we're so that's the song. Excellent. Okay, play us out, Francois. Let and me Kate. tell you how it will be. Taxman! There's one for you, 19 for me. Taxman! Because I'm the taxman. Yeah, I'm the taxman. Should 5% appear too small? Taxman! Be thankful I don't take it all. Taxman! Cause I'm the taxman. Yeah, I'm the taxman. And you're working for no one but me. Taxman! On this, thank you very much, Kate. Thank you. <laughs> Hang on, guys, what's this got to do with Andorra? No idea. <laughs>
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 